Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, Christchurch couple Grant and Marilyn Nelson have poured millions of dollars into projects they are passionate about. From saving a native forest, to academic work, to a legal battle over COVID wage subsidies. They fight for what they believe in, backed up with a lot of money. He and his wife have ruffled some feathers, obviously, but that, that was his dogged determination to improve governance and also work for the environment. But a $10 million donation from the Nelsons to prop up a highly regarded research institute is at the centre of a clash that's put the institute on the brink of closure. Would the average person give away $1,000 to unknown people to do unknown things with $1,000? No, they wouldn't do it. It's we weren't dealing with $1,000, we were dealing with $10 million. We'll hear more from Grant Nelson, but this story is about academic independence, how universities depend on the generosity of donors, and how much say those donors should have. Yes, I think it's quite alarming. It's all sorts of institutes at all universities in New Zealand have issues like this. The university has proved itself to be quite willing to bend over in the face of actually not a lot of pressure, frankly, not just to retain this donation, but probably to make sure that it remains attractive to future donors. The New Zealand Herald's deputy political editor Thomas Coughlin has been investigating the wrangle between the Nelsons and Victoria University. Grant and Marilyn Nelson are a a couple of Christchurch philanthropists. So they, in the 70s, I believe, started a building supplies business. Grant Nelson has been blind for for much of his life, but was able to build this um, building supplies business from Christchurch. I think they started it in their garage, a real New Zealand success story. Uh, In the 90s, they sold the building supplies business, and they sold it for rather a lot of money. And instead of, you know, resting on their laurels, they decided to use the money that they made from the sale for philanthropy. When when they were last checked in on, which was in an RNZ story, they were on track to give away about $50 million um, by the time they'd retired. So they have a reputation for being these very, very generous philanthropists. And along the way, they acquired this interest in donations and lobbying and the, the pernicious effect that that was having on our politics and what gets done here in Wellington. That kind of brings us to Victoria University. They made donations to the Institute for Governance and Policy worth $10 million dollars. Yes, so so the IPS, as it was called then, has been around for decades. It started in the 80s, uh, and the idea was a part uh, of the university that would look at what was happening in the government and try and make it better. To be fair, they're probably not well known outside of academic circles or outside of Wellington, but they look at all sorts of stuff that happens in the public sector and in government and ways in which it could it could be better. So they've looked at water policy. One of their recent books was on the social investment model and how that worked and the pros and cons of that. They often submit on, on various um, things that are going through government. They've always had insecure funding. You know, New Zealand universities are pretty poorly funded, particularly when it comes to research schools like this. And in the 2010s, Grant and Marilyn Nelson and their Gamma Foundation, the Gamma Foundation is the, the foundation that they, they do their philanthropy through, um, they started talking to, to the university about donations, uh, one donation in the first instance that would endow this institute uh, and give it a secure future. And the income from those donations uh, was what sustained the IGPS um, for the last decade, basically. So did they dictate how this money should be used? 
Yeah, so in a sense they did. So when they donated to the university, the university and, and the Nelsons and people associated with the donation, they agreed it would be to endow this institute and they signed a what's called a gift agreement, uh, which is, sets out the terms of how the money that was given uh, would be used. So that sort of is the legal agreement. The Nelsons say that, that they did want that, that work done on donations and lobbying and this was included in, in the Institute's charter. Now, the charter sets out a whole range of research priorities, which is what the, the, the IGPS's primary interest would be. Yes, lobbying. Yes, political donations. But also more general policy stuff. Uh, so it was never really clear in the physical document that this family really wanted the Institute to focus on, on these two issues. And I suppose we should point out here, Thomas, that... The reason you know all about this is that you've been digging away into this for quite a long time. Yes, a long, long time. I first became aware of it uh, when I read the journal that the, the IGPS publishes called Policy Quarterly. Again, it's one of those popular uh, publications in, in Wellington. Uh, it's quite it's a, a wee bit tragic. A popular publication for hope. <laughs> yes, I imagine it's quite well read um, from the, the, the top of the terrace down to the end of Molesworth Street and perhaps, <laughs> perhaps not very well read outside of those right. of, of that area. Uh, and there was an interesting letter there which talked about the, the funding of Policy Quarterly and, and, and the, the parlour state of the funding of the IGPS in general. Uh, so I put in a few OIAs and through the process of researching it, obtained a few other documents through the, the journalistic process, you might call it. In fact, you got, what, 130-something emails through the OIA. Yeah, 130-odd pages of, of emails. So, yes, I mean, some of the some of the emails were very long and stretched over multiple pages, and, that, and other emails were very short and fit, fit several to a page. So I, I imagine it would probably average out to about 130. And also leaked documents, including letters. And these emails, who were they from and to? So they were from the, the Nelson family uh, and, and they were to the, the head of school and the people associated with the IGPS and then eventually to the Vice-Chancellor Grant Kilford. You can see in the emails the, the temperature slowly raising as the, the, the family becomes less happy with what the Institute is doing and, and begins to talk and more what, and more right. to the top. And I think you might have said around 2018 they started to voice their frustration Yes, the first emails that we've got um, are from that 2018 period and then things really come to a head in 2021. The, the issue for them is that during that 2018 period, political donations became quite a big issue again in the aftermath of the Jamie Lee Ross scandal. Well, former National MP Jamie Lee Ross has been cleared of fraud charges that emerged out of an investigation he sparked four years ago. Blowing the whistle on his own party, claiming then-leader Simon Bridges asked him to collect a dodgy $100,000 donation. Part of that story was this scandal over um, the way that these donations were treated from, from Chinese donors and broken up. His complaint to the police culminated in a high-profile serious fraud office trial of seven people. Prosecutors argued the defendants split donations to both National and Labour to keep them anonymous and to avoid triggering the disclosure limit of $15,000. The the family was quite, because that put the issue of donations on the agenda, they asked that the Institute really double its efforts in regard to donations and, and do more research. From speaking to people associated with the, the Institute, I think their issue is that donations and lobbying were only two of several subjects that the Charter asks the Institute to look into. Mm. And speaking for them here, they would maintain that there simply isn't enough 
material there to publish paper after paper after paper after paper on donations, given the IGPS has a massive remit to, to look at all sorts of policy issues. And the, the most important, I suppose, part of that as well is that um, it is the view of most of the documents from the university that the charter was fulfilled. Thomas says there were attempts to find a middle ground, but in the end, the Nelsons and the university reached a deal to set up a fund where researchers apply for grants that fit with the Nelsons' area of interest. That leaves the Institute in a precarious position. It, it doesn't get stable funding from the university. I think the, the funding arrangements are quite complicated, mm. um, but once the endowment the donation terms were changed mm. so that it no longer endowed the institute. Immediately it became clear that the, the institute didn't really have a future and would, would probably be shut down. And it's quite common. Uh, you know, universities all over the country are full of institutes like this. It's great for the university that they get their name on something, they get to hire additional academics and they don't have to pay for it. Mm. Is the fact that Grant and Marilyn Nelson also ha- wanted to have so much influence, they wanted to have so much say... Yes, and that is the sort of irony is that they are very worried about the effects that donations and lobbying have in politics in New Zealand, and yet they believe that their donation entitled them to quite a lot of say over what the Institute did. So (laughs) So there's an irony there. But let's get Grant Nelson's take on this and what exactly he wanted from the $10 million donation to the Institute. I wanted to bring this out into, into the open, but more so the public understood what was was going on. You know, we didn't specify what sort of work they actually had to do, um, if you know what I mean. We said mm. it has, the work has to be about lobbying and political party donations, but it was, it was, they were free to decide whatever they wanted to do in, in relation to those things, um, and we would have been quite happy with that if they had done it. But mm. um, it didn't happen. And so at what point did you say, you know, we're, we're pulling out, we're not going to support the Institute anymore? Well, we didn't actually say that uh, as such. No. Um, it, it, well, just well, what happened was, you know, there was a lobbying bill in Parliament, but they did nothing on that. And then, then the government announced that um, they were going to review political party donations. So I said to them, well, look, you haven't done any work on this in the past, so um, how about you spend half your time doing work on that and you know, in the next year or two, until that review is out, um, and that will help inform the public about what is going on. But they refused. So went to the university, and then we sort of went through a bit of a process, trying to sort of work out. Um, this was over, you know, perhaps I'm not sure how many months, quite a few months anyway, trying to work out what would be the best idea and to um, make sure that they did the work and. In the end, um, it was was suggested to us that a a better way to make sure that staff did did what they said they would do would be to have grants. And so we decided that we would use the funds for um, providing grants. And, you know, that has proved to be very successful. Yeah, so in hindsight, do you think that would have been a better model? Yes. Yes, I think so. Yes, definitely, yes. Grant, do you do you find it odd, or what do you think about the whole way an institute like this is funded? Because basically, it has been 
so dependent on philanthropy, on your donation? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, I have heard that other people have had the same problem as us. You know, it's, it's perhaps not unusual. <laughs> you know, the reason for the uh, money being handed over in the first place is quickly forgotten and uh, staff just go on to do whatever they want. You know, we've had dealings with quite a few different universities and provided funding for different um, projects. Yeah, I think it's probably better to have a you know a grant system rather than provide an endowment with the income going to um, to support the work because well with it when you when you have a sort of like a ch- charter thing or an endowment um, you um, you have to prov- well make sure that it's still relevant in fifty or a hundred years time and that is tricky getting that balance right because um, it provides loopholes for people to to get around what you actually wanted to do. How does this fit in with academic independence, though? Well, I mean, yeah, but all, all the time, university staff are applying for grants, and they, if they don't do the work, they don't get the money. That's, you know, that's what it's all about. Or if they're, you know, if they're employed to do lectures and mark papers and so on, well, if they don't do that work, they're probably out pretty quickly the idea that they sort of have this system set up that's different to anyone else and that, you know, they can give as many assurances as they like to people saying that what they'll do, but they can just completely ignore that once they've got the money. That's not right. So did you not really rate any of the other kind of research and work this institute was doing into um, government and policy? Yeah, well, we gave the money for a particular purpose. When you're a charity, you don't just throw money at people and say, well, take the money and please yourself what you do with it. It has to be a charitable purpose. It has to serve the public. So we specified what work we wanted done, and, um, you know, that work wasn't done. And what do you think now? Because it seems pretty precarious, its situation. It looks like it's um, probably going to have to close. Um, no, well, I mean, it, it'll, it can just go back to what it was um, previously. It didn't have any funding. These are just in name only. They're not a separate legal entity or anything like that. I'm quite surprised, I guess, mm. at how dependent universities and other research institutes are well, well, on donations and endowments. Well, I don't know how much money each of the universities gets, so I, it's a bit difficult for me to comment on that. I was talking to someone from Auckland University who's you know, involved in, in this sort of area and they said $10 million was one of the top <laughs> amounts that any university has received. So extremely generous. Mm. But I guess your argument is you don't get something for nothing. Well, it's just quite simple, really. I mean, would the average person give away $1,000 to unknown people to do unknown things with $1,000? No, they wouldn't do it. It's we weren't dealing with a thousand dollars; we were dealing with ten million, and so you know there's a greater um, need to do what was originally agreed. Would you warn people to be wary of how their donations are used yeah. to make sure that they do have control over the use of yeah. the money? I certainly would. You know, we've been, I think, just too trusting and hoped, you know, year after year that something would happen, and it and it didn't. Um, 
and well, it's put us off completely off the idea of endowments to universities. Uh, put it that way. I mean, it, if this had worked out, we probably would be um, making you know other endowments to universities, but it put us right off doing anything like that. What they have funded at Victoria University, there are the three projects I found very interesting. Greg Hurrell is a journalist with Business Desk. He wrote about the Nelsons as part of a series on philanthropy. He explains how their money is being distributed now to the university through grants. The largest portion of that $1 million I mentioned is going to map the effect of political lobbying, personal connections and financial contributions to political parties by wealthy elites, which is something of a political statement in in itself. And uh, another of the projects is to build an annual political integrity index for every New Zealand politician, both uh, national and local. So you can look them up and say, this guy's um, taken lobbying from these people, and uh, that could create quite a few sparks when it comes out, uh, mm. possibly. Mm. And there's a third project, was for research supporting the reform of party funding laws, which is happening anyway. So certainly that the Gamba Foundation is trying to um, affect real change in New Zealand as they see it, because they are concerned about people with the money being able to unduly influence the uh, political process. Yeah. In the work that you did as part of this investigation into philanthropy and charities, did you come across this very much where philanthropists or donors want to have quite a bit of control over how their money is spent? Well, there is a little bit of of that, but um, looking broadly at charities, they're usually institutions and they're fighting for money all the time. And, of course, they do take money in from um, individuals. Uh, I can um, give an example of uh, Nelson's Scientific Research Institute, the Cawthron Institute. They take money from donors, and sometimes those those donations do come with strings attached. We want you to research into this. So they have to manage that. But a lot of, I think most donations I've seen looking at balance sheets that tend to be pretty much no strings attached. You know, I always think of philanthropy and education as something that the United States is really big on and they've probably got it sorted. But is it because it's a really new thing here, it's a growing thing, and, uh, you know, on both sides they're feeling their way? Well, I think on the side of the Institute of Governance and Policy Studies, I think it's reasonable that they would want to have more freedom. They they operate to a charter that was agreed with the Gama Foundation. And, and of course, it's a wide issue what governance and government policy is about. And they've obviously had their own ideas. So I don't think they were naive, but um, they have been um, very dependent on one organisation's largesse. As far as the Nelsons go, yes, I think I think they would have been better off with soliciting for proposals for funding instead of expecting that institute to do what it wants exactly. at all times. What's your overall impression, Greg, of how universities or institutes manage endowments here in New Zealand? This isn't a very good example. I think they need to be clear in future, As a, this is a lesson really, they do need to be clear that here's our charter, but that doesn't mean you have carte blanche to come in and say, you must do this. I think the universities have to be protective of their academic freedom. When you were talking to Grant Nelson, what stood out in that interview for you? A couple of things. One was he really did have a dogged determination to make a difference to New Zealand. 
he and his wife have ruffled some feathers, obviously, but that, that was his dogged determination to improve governments, governance and also do, do um, work for the environment. So, so last Monday, um, I was in the High Court in Wellington all day covering a one-day case, and this was the Gamba Foundation seeking a judicial review against the Ministry of Social Development and its, its alleged failure to prosecute most businesses over the COVID wage subsidy. That we're talking about were those that either took it um, when they weren't entitled to it or failed to pay it back when they should have. And now we're waiting for the judgment on that case. So that, that, that shows a very proactive and pursuing things that um, most people wouldn't have the opportunity to do because they don't have have the wealth and or, or the inclination. Uh, it does show uh, to me they they are a very principled couple, even even if not everybody would agree with their approach. Do you think that the donations that you have made? through these grants as well as to the Institute, have they made any difference at all in terms of political lobbying and donations? Or is that, is that no, something hard to judge? No, well, it's, no, they've made absolutely no difference up to the time when um, we changed to the grant system. And I think it's fair to say that they've been, you know, since then it's been very successful in actually um, bringing to public attention what has been happening and bring it, bringing pressure on um, the government to um, set up inquiries into lobbying and, and um, also political party donations. So, um, yeah, I, I feel it has worked very well. So where does that leave the Institute? Not in a great place. It doesn't have secure funding. They're currently consulting on what happens to it. Uh, and one of the options is that it just gets shut down, and that seems to be the most likely option because there's just no um, money available to sustain it unless the university decides to sort of bail it out. That's not beyond the realms of possibility, but the university's pretty hard up for cash at the moment. Is it a case that the university is so desperate for money that it really had to give in to the Nelsons? Yes, potentially. But the broader issue is, is as well that these are just two of many donors and I suppose if the university proves itself willing to play especially hardball with donors, and if it's willing to tell donors what they don't want to hear, then that might put um, donors off from giving their money to the Victoria University. They may take it up to Auckland or Canterbury or Otago or something like that. So I think there is a massive problem in New Zealand in general, given the, the state of funding, and the fact that New Zealanders aren't really... Um, that great when it comes to philanthropy, <laughs> quite cheap. Um, there's a bit of a problem there that the university has proved itself to be quite willing to, to bend over in the face of actually not a lot of pressure, frankly, N- not just to retain this donation, but probably to make sure that it remains attractive to future donors. But obviously, if if these are the terms in which um, donations can be accepted and the terms of them changed, then it does raise quite important questions about academic freedom and the ability of academics to certainly be funded by th- philanthropy, but also to bite the hand that feeds. Um, which is, you know, essentially one of the that's one of the jobs of of a, of a university. That's that critic and conscience role, which is also that's that's in the legislation that governs universities. Like that is. That is their job. That's what we've put in the law to for the universities to do against that issue. And to be fair, the university accepts this. I think Grant Guilford in the story notes that this really is an academic freedom issue. He's not denying that. And I think the university as well, looking back, they think that a better job could have been done of telling the Nelsons what they were getting into. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Grant Nelson, Thomas Coughlin and Greg Hurrell. Ka kite.